This month's Where Did the Road Go is brought to you by five amazing individuals. Greg Ross, Illuminati, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, and Michael Fritchie. If you want to support the show, you can become a patron at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com. And now our show. Transmission start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Now here is your host, Soraya. Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And I have with me Mr. Christopher Ernst. Hello, everybody. Uh, super Saxon man. <laughs> I'm going to kill Matt Festa for that if I ever meet him in real life. <laughs> Hi everybody and Ren. Hey everyone. Uh, you know we did we did our uh, we're recording this at the same time we recorded the UFO disclosure show and I didn't introduce you guys. I'm very sorry. People just have to figure out who you are. Yeah, it's all right. And come on, super Nobody. super Saxon man is a great name. No, actually, it is cool. I know. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Honestly, like, I'm kind of disappointed that I didn't come up with it before Matt did. But. Matt well, always drops things on me that are awesome, and I wish I had like found or thought of before. Yes, yes. Matt, Matt is makes a, me think of that Saxon album, that one with like a guy with a sword running at the. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, so tonight's show, I wanted to get into some some deep thoughts on things. Um, for uh, yeah, my uh, when we're, from when we're recording this, my brother passed away yesterday, uh, and he was he was a few years younger than me, and uh, I did not. I kind of always had a feeling that that was probably going to be the case, but it definitely led me down some some deep holes in a sense. Like my brother and I were close back, you know, like when uh, he still lived around here because we went to concerts all the time. He came up to my music show all the time. Uh, when he moved to Rochester, we kind of drifted apart for various reasons. And uh, and one of the things that, that I find interesting is the way that we, we establish families in a sense. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, he yeah. basically had a whole support system there that to me, I mean, it felt like that's more his family than I am at this point. Right. Um, but when, you know, it, it just made me think about a lot of this, this different deep ways of looking at reality, why we're here. Um, and to me, I still have a hard time feeling like, like things are not planned out somewhat, you know, even when the bad mm-hmm. things happened. Uh, I, I think I talked to you guys, uh, I don't remember who was on. Uh, about being like feeling like I get puppeted to be in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this happened again, like last week where I had to, uh, had to run to Ithaca and I got behind someone who was doing 30 in a 55 <laughs> and it literally added an extra 15 minutes to my trip. And I was frustrated, but I got to where I needed to go on time. And then I had to stop and on the way back at a, at a computer customer's and uh, I pulled in, and there was this this woman I had passed, kind of frantically walking down the street. And I actually couldn't find the guy's house because I was coming from a different direction. So I had to turn around. She was walking back down the street, and this was when it was like ninety five degrees out. And so I pull into his driveway and turn everything off. I get out of my car, and this dog comes running up to me. And I, of course, I'm mm-hmm. I'm happy because the dog just came running up to me. And I'm like, oh, dog. Well. Apparently, she had been chasing this dog. It was her dog, and the dog refused to come to her. And she huh. had been chasing it back and forth across the street, like that, up and down the street. It kept getting away, running away. 
and then it just ran right over to me. And she's like, first telling me he's not going to bite. And I'm thinking, mm. well, yeah, I'm sitting here petting him. And then, you know, like, she's like, please hold him. And I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, he was a small little curly haired black dog and super friendly. And then she just like comes over. She puts the leash. She's like, you got away. I've been chasing him forever. She's like, I didn't think I was ever going to get him. And it's so hot. Mm. <laughs> and, and I'm just like, is this why I had to drive 30 miles an hour? Day of the day? Yeah. yeah. Right. Like I, I, it, it literally feels like being puppeted. Like, and it bring always brings me back to that free will discussion. Like, I mean, I guess I could have done things differently and not been there right at that, but I didn't. I just didn't fight it. I was just like, I'll just be patient. It's going to put me where I need to be. So, go ahead. To me, like, I don't know. I guess I like helping people in life um, because everyone kind of benefits. When, when I think when you take that approach, yeah. um, and I think, you know, when you, when, when people say things like, well, what's life about? I think it's about creating a better life for everyone. I think it's about, uh, creating art and, and things that people can connect with because really when you're creating art, you're trying to bring out emotion in other people. You're trying to connect to other people. So I think creation is a big part of why we're here. But why we need to connect to one another, you know, you can, because you could say, and I, and I fully believe we are, we're all interconnected at some level to begin with. But when you're separated out and then you have to reconnect, it creates something new. Mm. So I will let one of you continue. Yeah. You know, uh, so I, I think, especially when you want to help people and, and being sort of disposed to being connected to the universe, however we want to phrase that. You know, you do find yourself being in those places sometimes and it feels like it was a little bit out of your control. But I think at some level, you know, you've consented to that right. or agreed to be a partner in that process. Um, and I, I, I've thought about that particularly a lot, how those things come around. Um, and, and it's interesting because sometimes you'll find yourself in a place to do something that's very small for yourself, but might be huge for somebody else. Yeah. And it, it's almost weird and not in a bad way, but, you know, you have that sense of like, why is this, you know, like it's no big deal to me. Calm down almost, you know, like <laughs> you're making me uncomfortable. <laughs> that kind yeah. Of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, it, it's because I think you you've agreed to play that role when you have the opportunity to do it. Um, but, you know, the, the second thing you said, like I have all kinds of paradigms in my head that don't probably work completely with each other. They're not necessarily congruent with each other. Well, they don't have to be. They don't have to be. No. Uh, but I think part of like our experience as uh, human beings is about uh, being better than our our lizard brain selves. Um, and it's almost that, that that's part of the test, uh, or, or the, uh, learning of being in the, you know, physical existence as a fleshy creature is defying, you know, whatever, uh, base instincts are built into our brains to be wary of each other, to, uh, other each other and things like that. And how do we appeal to what's higher and, and work towards that? Yeah. It, it's, it's a balance. It is. It is. And sometimes you need your animal brain. Mm -hmm. No doubt. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, I, for me at least, and I, I struggle with, uh, you know, I think like anybody who was raised with a particular way of thinking, like, you know, if you were raised Catholic or if you're raised Muslim, you know, you're sort of trained to believe there's a particular um, answer to life and death that exists 
and then you know you get older and you sort of move away from that and you try to figure your own way so i have you know there's this uh like it's essentially this kind of like struggle between sort of an alchemical way of looking at it and then a lot of uh you know the things which i think are true that come from advaita vedanta um which i sometimes incorrectly refer to as adi vedanta because of adi shankara who is the person who is essentially the progenitor of uh of uh, advaita vedanta but within that there's this idea I mean, it's of the you know uh the body um or the jivatma in the terminology of it uh being um like a vehicle for uh some sort of apotheosis or some sort of um you know transformation uh of consciousness somehow um and that's blending it with this idea this sort of very alchemical um uh you know, concept, which is the sort of more philosophical alchemical concept of the, uh, the, the transformation, um, of the self, uh, you know, the distilling of the self, yeah. however you want to, to think of it. And, you know, for, for me in, in, in that sense, uh, and I don't know if it's something I'll always feel, but at least right now, uh, it does feel like there's, I don't want to say it's like a block universe, but there is some sort of idea of, uh, or, or for me, there does feel to be some pull of, um, not fate, but it's like, it's like a, a good analogy would be maybe like, you know, you're in a train going to a particular destination and you can move around in that train and do certain things but there's still some sort of momentum mm. taking you to a particular place. I like and that. so I, you know, I feel like there are some things that I'm able to do and I, I can have this, you know, very depending on what direction I look at or what car I go to or whatever, but I'm still heading in a particular direction. And if I really stop and kind of feel that momentum, I'll feel myself going that way. So yeah, it's, I do think, you know, I, Without I, being able to, to to really explain it, I do think there is something that is driving some force. Yeah, I really love that analogy. That one's great. That's very similar to, to how I kind of feel about things right now. And that I, I've been thinking a lot about destiny um, lately and how uh, magic interacts with with what we consider destiny. And I sort of conceive of it as like a river, like time and being a river with currents and eddies and flows. And that, uh, you know, if you're just riding along the river, you will be moved to certain places based yeah. on those currents. Right. Um, mm. And that's something like magic gives you the ability to, to alter those currents or, you know, gives you a, a motorboat or something. <laughs> you can kind of <laughs> ride. Yeah. Or yeah. I mean, like in general, and, and that's the whole idea too about about destiny and that current is that you can swim against it, uh, yeah. but it's difficult, yeah. right? Like yeah. it's easier to just go with the flow. But then again, the flow might not be taking you where you want to go either. Right. So it's it's all about like finding that that balance between allowing destiny to take you certain places, but also realizing that that as a as a human being, like as a divine being, you have free will and the ability to swim uh, against the current if you need to. And and that that also brings me to to a dilemma I will have sometimes where it's like, okay, are, is this sequence of events happening because it's the universe telling me I'm going the wrong way? Or is this a challenge I'm supposed to overcome? I mean, I think that, that that's a useful element. Um, you know, I, I feel like I've I've fallen away a good deal from Thelium over the couple, 
past couple of years after uh, getting into it pretty heavily um, in like 2020 and such. But one of the, the things that I still take away from it that I found useful is that idea of true will, that, that like a, a person living in accordance with their true will, like what they're sort of destined to do in this life, um, the, the universe kind of falls in place for them. Yeah. Like the path is easy. And, and I've come across this too. Um, I've been in a book group that's rereading through uh, a group that's three books called Philosophy. And he talks about um, nice both uh, like you've got basically like three guardian angels, right? And they, they correspond to Agrippa's idea of the world being separated into the divine world, the celestial world, and the, like the material world. Mm-hmm. And you have a divine uh, angel that's like appointed to you directly via God, right? That that guides and protects you and advises you in your life. Mm-hmm. You also have a celestial uh, angel that is. Um, appointed to you based on the circumstances of your birth, so like your your astrological chart, basically, like how, how the, uh, the spheres were arranged when you were born. And then you have the uh, angel of the material world, which is the angel of profession. So this is literally, if you're like a, like a librarian, this is like the angel of librarians. You know, it's sort of a um, almost like a patron saint of like whatever you do. And, and what Agrippa talks a lot about is how a person who is like living. Um, who is living in such a way that like harmonizes with the nature of these spirits, right? Uh, their life ends up being like much easier and more comfortable or like at least uh, smoother, you know, like things, th- there aren't constant hardships and such. And in some cases um, that, that can be a key to understanding, like if you're kind of following your, your, your destiny or not, but there's also a danger there too in thinking like um, not necessarily every bad thing that happens to you happens because uh, you know, you aren't living your truth or whatever. Right. Right. Because we, we learn a lot more from the bad experiences. Like Mm -hmm. I I think there are very, there are bad experiences we need to go through in order to progress. Like we, 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 we evolve and we progress because we've had to deal with the bad, and if everything's easy and flows right along, it's it's kind of like what what are you getting out of that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's literally uh, I've been going through Orphic theology and Thomas Taylor's uh, book about the Ellisonian mysteries, and there's a line from the Aeneid um, that Saxon, what you were talking about, made me think of, um, where uh, Aeneas is going down into uh, into Hades, and the uh-huh. line is. Uh, easy is the path that leads down to hell. Grim Pluto's mm-hmm. gate stands open day and night. But to retrace one's steps and escape the upper regions, this is a work. This is a task. Some few whom favoring Jove loved or illustrious virtue advanced to heaven, the sons of gods have affected it. But that like the work of bettering yourself, like the work of living like a higher existence where you help people like that's hard. Like that's a hero's yeah. task and that's a hero's yeah. journey that you have to undergo to do that. It's easy to just yeah. live uh, in a way where, um, you know, you never have, uh, you know, you never help anyone. You never look out for anyone but yourself. That's easy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I, th- I think, you know, uh, there's a lot of memes going around about how people don't grow up or stuff like that, you know. Um, and I think part of that in our culture comes down to the fact that a lot of times we don't have um, rituals that that kind of transition to adulthood. Mm-hmm. But also, I think until you're responsible for other people, you don't really get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I had I had a friend yeah. say to me once that uh, he didn't actually realize his actions affected other people until he had children. And, and, yep. I, was, uh-huh. and I was like, this, this just made so much, you know, I've known this guy for a long time, and I'm like, that makes so much sense that you said that because that explains your behavior. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
But, you know, I feel like he's probably not the only one that just doesn't really have that 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 concept. I think as you get older, you usually get it. But um, sometimes it takes having having to be responsible for someone else's life, you know, even if it's just a yeah. pet sometimes. Yeah. The um, So, I, I mean, what, what, what do you, so are, are you, how can I put this? Do you think the main point of being here is to evolve who we are? So there's a very specific, and this is just something that I'll share because it probably hasn't been shared uh, before, um, because I find it interesting from uh, the Meher Baba work. And it's essentially, you know, again, this kind of uh, conflagration or confluence of um, Sufism, uh, mysticism, and Advaita Vedanta that kind of form what the basis of his cosmology is. But very simply, what he said, and for anybody who doesn't know, I'm talking about this was a, a, a mystic um, in the uh, who lived between 1894 and 1969 uh, out of India, and uh, he's sort of popular a little bit in like hippie counterculture in the 60s, and then before that, prior to World War II, in the sort of like mystical yogi fetishism of the West. Uh, but anyway. Um, and he said uh, that very specifically what sort of the universe is, it's really interesting because it's a very similar idea to this book that I've been rereading called Stalking the Wild Pendulum, uh, which was this book that got referenced a lot in the gateway process report for the CIA. Anyway, circular uh, um, talking here. But what this uh, the idea is, is that the world, or, or I'm sorry, creation, everything is essentially this like infinite intelligence that is unconscious. And this is outside of time, space, in any way that we can possibly imagine it. And that this intelligence that is infinite and has no beginning or end unconsciously needs to know itself. And uh, creation is essentially the uh, means by which this intelligence goes through the process of knowing itself. So, what we are is we're these fractalized uh, parts of this intelligence. We're actually the same. You and I are all the same. We're just, uh, uh, we've been um, divided up into these sort of different parts so that we can experience everything and then come back to the, uh, I guess, the oneness. This is part of the Advaita Vedanta, the non-dualist uh, idea, this sort of infinite oneness of intelligence. But this time there will be uh, consciousness of that, you know. Uh, so essentially what happens is you have these different fractalized souls that go through all these experiences and then realize themselves to be this infinite intelligence that many people call God again. But you've brought with you all these various experiences that are now part of the oversoul. So you have this individuality, but you also have the connected existence with all these other souls that have gone through all these different experiences. So essentially, creation is here and we're here in order to know ourselves. And it's a process of, you know, knowing ourselves that exists out of space and time. So it's really a cycle yeah. it's sort of continually happening. And, and, and I, I find that to be interesting. I think that's an interesting way of looking at not necessarily new see that in all other philosophies yeah but it's one that i keep on coming back to I, I i feel like that i don't know i feel like there's a there's no one thing that's going on i think that we're you know we live in a universe yeah. that's incredibly diverse but yeah. we we assume that like life and death are all singular you know 
Like instead yeah. of yeah. being diverse. So I, I think when someone dies, there there could be any number of things. Like they, they may rejoin, you know, where they came from, or they may reincarnate, or maybe they'll move on to something else and, and be someone's sure. spirit guide. Maybe they'll, you know, I mean, beyond anything we can probably yeah. imagine, because we can't really fully understand that realm from here. Uh, even people who yeah. have near-death experiences, we don't know if those are what happens when you actually die. But they can't fully, you know, render that world here. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, I think that's possible. I mean, Seth would say that, you know, the individual, your individuality does survive on some level. And then, like, he even talks about how it, it sort of fractures out and creates other souls that then reincarnate. Well, th I mean, that's, that is kind of basically what I was saying, too. The individuality is not lost. It's just there's this connection that and i think that people get scared of the idea of losing their individuality sure, but it's sure. not oh yeah it's not that it it's not that it gets lost it's just that the individuality is much larger than we could imagine it to be you know what i mean it's something like that we ourselves each of us have these sort of consciousness that's a lot more expansive than what we are aware of right now yeah. and that could include you know the you know higher you know uh guardian angel spirits or you know these different bodies or all these different ways of thinking about the sort of larger human being that exists beyond just sort of this meat puppet you know thing we're walking <laughs> around in right now the meat, the meat suit yeah. Um, yeah i mean i sort of think about uh i i don't know i conceive of myself um, as simply like a, a pseudopod of a like higher dimensional like intelligence, right? That is experiencing yeah. this world. And I'm like one little tentacle that's been poked into 3D space to to experience things. And yeah. that higher up, whatever this thing is, uh, exists outside of what we would even understand as time, right? And so exactly. all, of the, all of my like past lives and all my future lives um, it's all the same if you go back to the source, right? And, it, and it's very oh. similar to the, the Mayor Baba idea. And even like like you said, there's a lot of different uh, cultures and philosophies that come to this like same sort of conclusion that that uh, the individuality is sort of an illusion too. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. like like you really aren't an individual in the sense that like your 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 highest self is. It's it is just all one. It's one thing. Yeah. You have sort of this this illusion of individuality because you're experiencing uh, a life in this in this incarnation in this sort of uh, 3D space. And if we see time as a yeah a perspective, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was rereading the Seth the Seth book, and I I really I mean I, I there was a lot that I was really like oh yeah this is very similar to a lot of the stuff that I was taught growing up, and I hadn't read the Seth stuff since like the 90s mm. yeah it's amazing to me all the stuff in like orphic theology that's like basically uh it's very buddhist and it's yeah, yeah. i was actually yeah. uh, i was joking around that like um you know all of these victorian um basically like victorian hindu weebs or buddhism weebs um yeah like got really into it and i'm like yeah. because how much that orphic theology was like suppressed by the church of rome and stuff and it's like Guys, we have Buddhism at home. It's called orphism. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Uh, and, and that's uh, what makes me think that there is, you know, when people talk about, I think I was saying this when there was the, uh, the show that we, that, uh, with AP on, on theosophy and Blavatsky is that there's this, you know, you don't, there doesn't have to be like an ancient, you know, formalized order that had the secrets. Like right. part of me thinks that the secret is that like all of these different, you know, sort of mystics and yogis and, and 
you know, people throughout the ages, they've kind of been saying something sort of similar. It's like a different version of it. And, you know, maybe that's just the, you know, the elephant thing, you know, that's the, that we're just seeing different parts of the elephant, yeah. you know, uh, and they happen to be sort of similar enough that we can be like, oh yeah, but I do feel like there's something there. Like there's this kernel that maybe it's intangible or it's defies language for us to really, you know, uh, uh, pin down exactly what it is, but there is some similarity there that maybe is that, that this is like, you know, the secret, the, the secret doctrine. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it gives me the impression too, that like there is such a thing as divine truth, right? Like there is, there is a, a reality to the, the things we're talking about that various cultures, various philosophers, um, various civilizations have all come to the same conclusion because that, that central, that central conclusion is true and is, is real. Um, yeah. We just express it differently because of yeah. our cultures and our mythologies are different, but the, the core tenets of it are, are always the same. That doesn't, though, I think, explain all of this weird phenomena and tech. Like, why does ceremonial magic work then? What is, you mm -hmm. know, like, what are these experiences people have had, different places they've gone? You know, that's the sort yeah. of like, it's it's like easy to kind of have this nebulous uh, sort of idea of what the universe might be like but all the stuff that we're experiencing and sort of dealing with like that's what i'm trying like how does that fit in there that's what i'm yeah. trying to figure I, out. I definitely do feel like there is like some exchange going on i mean it, yeah. i'm not the first person to to speculate that um like buddhists came back with alexander uh to greece and spread these ideas yeah. uh yeah. to greeks mm -hmm. mystic era like but I, I definitely do think that you have this because I, people, I guess people like sort of think about the ancient world as if like uh, people never traveled anywhere. Like people right. stayed in the same little areas their entire right. life. Yeah. People traveled all over the world. And like these ideas, I think, spread in ways that, that we really can't understand now because there's no like record of it, really. All we can really see is the, the contours of those migrations of ideas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we were talking uh, before we started the show but the concept of like people incarnating together, and that's something Seth brings up that he that he, what did he say? In the, one of the books, he says something like, "When you die, you will you know re reunite with some of the same people you've reincarnated with numerous times." Mm -hmm. And he said that some of the people you're closest with in your current life are not the people that you're actually closest with. You know, so when you when, mm -hmm. when you're in that other world outside of life, it's it's other souls maybe that you're you're closer to but you don't have uh, contact yeah. with in this life yeah. that's interesting i, I mean interesting. i know that i've my only real past life experience i had the distinct impression that two of the people i was with that i was very close friends with uh were in that past life memory with me as well in like similar sort of roles and relationship and you know i have no way of like proving that or knowing that's valid right. but i do think that in some cases you you live out lives um with the same sort of people right like uh, a person that you meet in this life you might have known them in a previous life too and that yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe isn't always the case and probably isn't the case for most people, you know, but in, in some cases I think that it can definitely be true. Well, I mean, mm. when you have the, the kids who remember their past lives, a lot of times they'll be like, oh yeah, you know, they'll tell their parents, oh, you were, you were my brother in that, in that life or something like that. Yeah. You know, it's like the, the, the roles are different and the, and the kid yep. understands this, which makes no sense to adults who are like, what? No, this why are you, you're just making <laughs> stuff up, you know? 
Mm. Right. I mean, right. that's a lot of the similar stuff that, you know, I, then this is, that's very common too, in sort of, uh, especially in Indian, um, uh, ideas of reincarnation is that there is that, like, you're fulfilling these different, you know, your lovers in one lifetime, your mother and son in another, your brother and sister in another, you know, your, yeah. uh, business partners in another. And, then there's this idea that I really like of thinking about it in the sort of uh, the as above, so below, and that you see this way that the uh, universe, uh, as far as we know it, uh, sort of clusters, you know, and you can see this happen too, just in the way, you know, in physics and, you know, here there's this certain, you know, clustering of things that come together in a vacuum and that uh, what's happening for our souls, too, is that you're basically getting, how did I hear it described? They're, you know, oh, that it's like there are wave bubbles, which are, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like Earth, like this planet is a wave bubble or this solar system. So it's like a big, you know, if you're thinking of like the ocean, the universe is some infinite ocean or creation is an infinite ocean that you have these like waves so there's motion and all these bubbles that are kind of clustered together for these, you know, certain period of the wave. And then there are drop bubbles. So you have like the, you know, uh, in the, within the wave, there are the individual drops that are in there too. So there's something that's moving as an entire system, which is like the solar system or the earth or I don't know. But then you also have these other little clusters of things that are moving together within that larger structure and have their own intertwining relationships, but then, you know, move apart probably at some point. So have all of you had the experience where you meet someone and you feel like you're just catching up with an old friend? Oh yeah, for sure. (laughs) For sure. sure. Uh, You know, so it, I, I'll contrast that too, because, you know, before we, we started recording, I was talking about, you know, I've got a buddy that I've known for 37 years and, uh, you know, we, we've just kept up with each other and lived in different places and stuff like that and all these things, but we've, we've known each other since we were in second grade and, you know, he's closer to me than any of my siblings are, uh, because I've known him that long and he's been around for more experiences than my siblings might've been. Um, but you know, I met somebody, uh, um, probably three years ago, uh, through like a, a business interaction. And, uh, you know, I told somebody it was like an old friend I had just met and, uh, yeah. you know, it, I still don't see this person that much around, but every time I do, it's just like, you know, it, it goes back to feeling like, man, I have known this guy for, you know, a hundred years and he seems like family to me. Right. Yeah. And I, and the people I get that with are usually the people I stay friends with a long period of time. Yeah. 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 Do you find that you can pick back up with those people easier if there has been a uh, oh, hiatus? Yeah. 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 Sometimes I'll go years without talking to them and then we just pick right back up. Yeah. And I almost think that like there's an emotional maturity there too, because those people are are willing to understand that life happens Yeah, and and they're just glad they know you. Yeah. And you drift apart from certain people. I mean, life takes us in different directions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, and even like, you know, when I heard Joshua Cutchin on Micah's show, not only was I like, I need to get this guy on, I, I immediately was like, I'm going to be friends with this guy. Yeah. Like, and I don't know if that's so much the same as feeling like I knew him as much as just like maybe being able to pick out like, oh, his personality and my personality will click well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So it's it's hard to say, but there are definitely people where it's like, God, yeah, I, I, I've just met you, and I feel like I've always known you, and I I got to remember that I don't actually know you. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 a weird thing, and um, and I wonder if those are the people that you know you're you're traveling through multiple worlds with. They might be, you know. Um I had the, uh, I've talked about this guy on the show. I actually refer to him as my brother sometimes too, even though he's not actually, um, I met him in Thailand at a, at a Muay Thai gym and, uh, it turned out we had been at some of the same places doing martial arts, like across the room from each other. We just hadn't met until we met in Thailand. Um, yeah, and, and you know, and I, I sort of have a weird, uh, you know, we can either call this trauma bond or, or, or something else. Um, he and I and uh, three other guys had gone down to a swimming pool that wasn't too far from the gym. And while we were there, there was uh, a Japanese couple there with their two kids that were in the pool. And we were all sitting in the hot tub just relaxing because... We were bruised and beat up and those things. And the son of the Japanese couple uh, drowned or, or began to drown, I guess would be the way to put it. And um, the guy I referred to as my brother and one of the other guys that was with us, uh, one of them had been a first responder. The other had been in the uh, um, RAF and had done search and rescue. And so they jump out of the pool, start calling off how they're going to resuscitate the child to each other. And do CPR on this kid. And he starts, you know, just vomiting out massive amounts of water, mm. uh, far more than he should have had in his little body. I mean, it, it was one of those things you're just like, I don't know, it was shocking. Um, but anyway, I've stayed friends with that group of guys forever since then. And that was kind of the first time we had all hung out as a group. And, uh, when interesting things happen in our lives, one of us usually is around visiting the other one right afterwards or, or something like that. And, uh, I still sort of have like a little, I, I don't even know what to call that, but something about that experience. And I also think just Thailand's a little bit of a magical place in some areas. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're more open to these things. You see people walking around with charms and amulets to protect themselves. Right. But something about that tied us all together. Mm -hmm. So the, um, what was I just going to say? I was so busy listening to your story that I forgot what, what the next thing I went to mention was thanks. Super Saxon man. (laughs) You're welcome. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, uh, so I can't, I can never completely throw out the idea that this is really some sort of simulation slash video game type of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, like I always come back to that where it's like, there's really no evidence it's not, Yeah, you know, and that we might already be in, you know, the year 3000 and we're in a simulator, in a, you know, simulator simulating the year 2023. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's again, what like me and Chris were talking about. It's not like that idea is new. I mean, that's Mara. Like that's the idea that the material world is an illusion anyway. Right. And that, that idea is way older than computer for simulations. Yeah, it but, is. And it's really funny too, because the whole, a lot of the, the, um, the language that's built around this, like avatar, that term avatar is a Hindu term, which yeah. is very specific. And, you know, the fact that there's all this stuff that, you know, I think has been integrated into the building of these sort of, um, uh, I, I guess like models, I mean, there are, who's the guy that is, I want to say he is like a, a, 
Ayurveda Vedanta Hindu, um, and he wrote, God, what is it? Laird Scranton is, I think, right? But somebody else, and I'm completely forgetting his name. Anyway, my point being is I think that there's a lot of like people who are researching in these fields and thinking about things, you know, from a modern technological uh, standpoint are also, you know, uh, integrating or, or building this stuff are thinking about these sort of ancient uh, ways of imagining sort of reality and illusion. So I don't think that it's like, I think that it's sort of being, my point being, I think it's being carried through to the present in the way that people are imagining things, you know, from like holographic universe, uh, you know, it, it, these are just different ways of articulating a similar idea. Yeah, yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, the, well, that's a Damon too, right? Well, not exactly. Damon's more like you're high, dealing with your higher self or a spirit okay. that, that okay. sort of is there to guide you. Okay. okay. So if you were playing a video game, uh, you running the controller would be the Damon for the, the character in the video game. Okay. Right. But this whole, like the idea that there's, you know, and I feel like people have talked, um, other much more intelligent people have talked about this than I, but you know, this idea that in a video game, so you have like this code that is something that is completely like, it has nothing to do in terms of its aesthetics or its look or its feel with what the product is of what you're playing, but it is the base of the world in which you inhabit. And without that code, there would be no world. So the code is actually the real true reality of this world. But mm. then there's the other idea that then you as a consciousness are using that code to experience this sort of sensory environment, you know, where you're doing things and stuff like that. But that's not actually reality. The real reality is the code, but then the real reality, maybe it isn't the code. Maybe it's you, your consciousness that's driving it. So I think like a lot of the, you know, this, the model that we've set up for sort of contemporary, like VR theory or, you know, holographic theory, um, it's in dealing with all of these sort of, uh, or in building essentially in building models of what the universe might be like, uh, you know, we're sort of enacting, um, uh, our own godness, if that makes any sense. You know, we're like yeah. building, we've reached the point where we're building our own virtual worlds within virtual something worlds, that is, yeah. you know, a virtual world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's definitely the chaos magic idea of what magic is, right? This, you're like basically manipulating the code. code that yeah. on, right. And anyone who's like ever used something like a, uh, like a memory or like a hex editor or a memory scraper um, yeah. with a game, something like cheat engine or something and like have manipulated things in the, in the game, like in real time, like that, that definitely has parallels of what doing magic can be. In and, some cases. and like what we were talking about before, you know, the game has a path that you're going right. to follow. So if mm -hmm. you're using a cheat code is like using magic in real life, you're still on that path. Yeah. You're just using mm -hmm. a tool to make the path a little bit easier. But it, uh, it is also too, I didn't think about this before because um, it, it's a useful analogy in the sense that, that magic has its limits as well. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. you can only really um, change things so much before they break. And, and, and in the case of a game breaking, it would crash. Right. But yeah. in the case of, reality you uh it just doesn't do anything it doesn't do what you wanted it to do right right yeah trying to bend that rubber band too far which which is also and maybe there are other uh, i'm sorry go ahead oh i was i was just gonna say which might be also why you know people are like well if you could do magic why don't you summon a million dollars and it's like 
<laughs> that's not part that's not part of my path you know yeah yeah, yeah. go ahead chris i forget what i was going to say now i'm sorry there was something about that <laughs> it's okay <laughs> it wasn't important so i didn't remember it so i mean one of the things that always drew me to the paranormal and and stuff like this was that you know we 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 believe that we have a concept of how reality works even though we really don't we, we we've figured out some of the rules and some of the laws but we're constantly mm-hmm. finding that, oh, well, these laws of physics don't seem to work in this or they don't, you know, and then we got quantum physics, which just messes everything up. Um, and we know very little, even though we feel like we know a lot because we can make things that work within these systems. But when you start looking at all the stuff that, you know, we talk about on this show for the most part, the the, the unexplained stuff, to me, that's that's the more valuable stuff to look at. Because it gives us an insight into how we perceive reality when we're not, like when, when things are, are acting differently. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Like any, anyone can experience a car driving by and they're going to share a similar experience, but not everyone experiences a Bigfoot encounter. <laughs> right. <laughs> to take it back to the, uh, the video game analogy um, in that regard, you know, like it, it, sometimes it's more interesting to me when I'm playing a game to try to find all of the glitches, right? And all oh, yeah. the things broken, right? Like, because sometimes those are funny and sometimes those are like fun to interact with. Yes. You yeah. Know, what, are, what are these anomalies in reality, but like glitches in that? And and you you had your own glitch of reality one day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've literally seen something that looked like it was a game glitching out. Tell tell people that story. It's been a long time since you told that story. Yeah, I just um, I was in the woods when I was a kid hiking with my dad and my little brother, and I got ahead of them and went around a uh, bend uh, that led down into a hollow. And down inside the hollow, I heard like a metallic clanking sound, and I like looked down there, and there was just like um, like triangles um, moving in the hollow, um, very glitchy. Kind of looked like a quadruped, like had four legs, and at least what I remember is sort of like a, a low polygon white tiger, like sort of white and black triangles, but with the general shape of that, like kind of like four-legged thing running. And then um, I looked at it for about like a second and a half, and then I turned around in the opposite direction and just started running. Um, <laughs> and uh, Got back to my my dad and my little brother, and they made fun of me endlessly. Um, and when we ended up, you know, getting back to that spot, it was gone. Whatever, of it course, was. But, or um, or yeah. fully or it fully rendered into an animal. Yeah, yeah. Or that's a good yeah. point. <laughs> I mean, and the thing is, the the way we perceive reality is not, I mean, none of what we're seeing, I was trying to explain this to a friend of mine, and he just, he could not grasp it, that, you know, you, you look and you say, oh, look, this is a table, but what we're perceiving is not what's actually there. Like, right. our, our brain is painting, all, all those are, are vibrations, and our brain is painting pictures based on what it's perceiving with our senses. Mm-hmm. So, so there's no empirical table. There's, there's a vibration that we interpret as a table. Right. And, and so when we have weird experiences too, I mean, it makes sense to me that people rarely, you know, even if they're, they're both, if you have two witnesses seeing the same thing, a lot of times they'll, they'll see, see it slightly differently yeah. because, yeah, because yeah. your brain's struggling to figure out what, what is this vibration? Um, yeah. At least he didn't use a, a chair as the example, or else he would have fallen to the oldest uh, platonic cliche. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, I mean, what we what we experience via our senses. I mean, you know, the same. 
uh, like the same philosophies say that, you know, they, they are just illusions, you know, and in your case, you're saying they're like vibrations. I mean, in morphic theology, they're, uh, they're just the gross material, right? They're yeah. corrupt form uh, or corrupted version of a higher truth or a higher form that exists uh, and that sort of the purpose of, of life is to um, like contemplate those divine forms rather than uh, get lost in the illusion of the material. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, and, and one of the things that I dislike about some of, some of the spiritual paths is how they vilify the material. Like mm-hmm. I think obsession with the material is bad. But I think it's okay to enjoy your life while still having a spiritual path. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, I feel like a lot of that is uh, extensions of dogma, you know, like people who figure, because there are, like, that is one way to get to a particular place. Sure. Um, And I don't know why it's become so predominant, but uh, in terms of it being a philosophy, but I, I mean, what I'm saying is I'm saying I agree with you. And I think that it's, you know, the idea of uh, that idea of austerity um, and this sort of Gnostic hatred and rejection of the evil world is really not. I feel like that's kind of a warping of some of the original spiritual uh, like kernels that these religions have come through. That's just my my sort of sense from sorting through it all well, see, is that that's something which has become more you know, more of a focus than it necessarily needs to be, or people are thinking about it in the wrong way. Yeah. Well, it seems like it's like, okay, you're here just to get out of here. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's like go, going out somewhere and being like, well, let, let's hurry up and just get home. It's like, well, why'd you leave home in the first place then? Yeah. <laughs> I get a feeling that it was really supposed to get is this idea that you're not like, uh, that there's more than this. So, you know, you're not here to accumulate as much wealth as you, you know, uh, at, at the, I don't know, stepping all stepping on the backs of others or something. I don't know. Right. That, yeah, that's yeah. maybe me yeah. just interpreting it my own way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, you know, like I said, I've been reading a lot of like Orphic theology stuff and it very much falls somewhat into that camp of Gnostic thought, like, you know, uh, the material world's corrupt, it's evil, ultimately. Um, But there's a line, I think this is Plotinus, where he says, uh, hence, says he is Narcissus by catching at the shadow, plunged himself in the stream and disappeared. So he who is captivated by beautiful bodies does not depart from their embrace is precipitated not with his body, but with his soul into a darkness profound and repugnant to intellect, through which remaining blind both here and in Hades, he associates forever with shadow. And the way I interpret that is that, like, it's fine to enjoy your life because I, I love incarnation. Like, I love yeah. being incarnated. Yeah, people. oh, for sure. Like, I love the bodybuilding stuff I do. I love uh, creating art. I love just interacting with the physical world. And and what I think, um, if you take away anything from those those Gnostic ideas, it's that just, like, don't get obsessed with the material. World. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, don't get lost in the sauce like make sure that you understand that there is more to it than than what you can see and what you can touch um and that like like you said chris like i mean you even see this in the gospels right the whole it, it is easier for a uh, a camel right. to go through a needle's eye than a rich man to enter heaven this idea yeah. that like just accumulating things isn't the point being here right like yeah. no one that isn't it certainly can make your life more comfortable but it's not going to make your life more fulfilling Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there's so many mindsets that are built around that, like accumulating things, conquering things, Mm -hmm. you know, um, 
But the and, and on the flip side too, I think that another part of that a, a positive way of looking at you know at that kind of you know the idea the the Gnostic idea is that when suffering does happen is that like it's not the end of the world you know what I mean that you know what you are going through in terms of you know suffering. I guess there's this idea that maybe comes out of Old Testament that you're being either punished for something right, or, right, you know, right. uh, like, and that it's just understanding that suffering, like pain and pleasure, that it's just, this is more of like a, a sort of Zen way of looking at things is that it's, there's a balance because that's the nature of this world is there's this push and pull between the mm-hmm. negative and the positive. Yeah. You know, so one thing I thought about that too, you know, and Maybe you know, it's a corruption also of this idea, and I think y'all have touched on this in different ways already, though. But uh, you know, as you get more in tune with things, you know, the less desire you have for stuff, maybe, uh, and the places you find enjoyment in life change. But it's a misread of that, where in it, and for sure, you know, Western Christian tradition is is very punitive. But um, it gets sort of misinterpreted and, and illustrated out there as a denial of these things will get me to this place quicker. Yeah. And that's not really it, though. I mean, it's it's easy to meditate all day if you're in a monastery in the mountains. But, you know, do you really know what life is like? Uh, do you know well, what yeah. relationships with people are like? Yeah. Yeah. And you there's know, the, the totally. Yeah. I mean, it, it, sorry, it go, seems like it'd be far cooler to do that in the daily life, you know, you have in the world. Although I, I do think that, you know, everyone's path is different for a reason. So maybe some people yeah. do have that, but it's, but it's the fact that these religions preach this as the only way. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, too, we also risk um, a little bit of cultural relativism here, thinking about this too, because, yes. I mean, as like a bunch of guys that live in the modern West um, in a first world country, like we have some of the most comfortable lives of yes. any yeah. Absolutely. In the entirety of human history, you know, like, yeah. uh, when, you know, uh, when you talk about everything yeah. suffering, like for people thousands of years ago, that might've been true. I mean, uh, yeah. most people's lives yeah. might've been short, hard and, and they probably brutal, were. You know? yeah. But, yeah. So, but there, there is more and more evidence that that wasn't the case, that people did live longer than we thought. And they participated more in art than we thought. And, you know, like that, some of this stuff is coming out archeologically slowly. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure I, there. I'm sure there were really sure. dark times in, in in every culture, but like, I think the human thing is is to create and to live life. Mm-hmm. I mean, you make. I'm not well, saying you're not making a good point because you are. Yeah. Well, you know, so here here's a a side addition to that, and and you know, I, I've heard you all talk about this in different ways on other shows we've done, but how much the phenomenon and creativity are the same. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I was reading, uh, uh, is it Rick Rubin that's the producer, the music producer? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I he posts just bits of, uh, you know, it's usually like a line or two on creativity about once a week, and then he deletes it and puts a new one up. And he said something about like, you know, how you shouldn't try to chase the muse. It doesn't like to be observed. <laughs> And I was like, man, that is, like is that. so, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it is so much like trying to pursue the phenomenon. Like, yeah, you, you can't. 
and uh, how much creation and the phenomena seem to be intertwined. Um, so when you talk about like the purpose of life is to create, like there's a relationship there that uh, I don't think we're remotely figured out yet, but there is something there. Yeah. No, there definitely yeah. is. And I mean, there's like, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Well, it seems that there's like a balance there too. Um, Cause I definitely agree with you that you, you can't force things like that and you, you can't force the phenomena to interact with you. Um, but you can also set up conditions that are conducive to it, right? Like right. you can't force the muse, but you you can also like set up a, a life where you you have the ability to be creative when when it strikes or you know when the muse does talk to you. And in the right. same way, like you know you can uh, you maybe can't force a UFO to appear, but if you never spend any time uh, outside at night, you know you're never going to see one. Yeah, right, right. Oh, for sure. For sure. And, you know, I, in his, the quote, and I, I wish I'd saved it, you know, there's obviously, it's like two lines long. So it's not leaving room for, you know, building, uh, an environment that is conducive to the creative process or, you know, those kinds of things. And, you know, I would say 80% of what he actually posts is about facilitating that in some way. Yeah. He's really into, I mean, the way he produces it's it's say what you want about him and his look and, you know uh who he's produced but in hearing some of the stories of you know he uses like bibliomancy and all these really sort of uh uh oblique strategies to borrow from brian eno uh to try to get places what they were talking about i think it was when he was producing system of a down they did something for a particular part of that song where they had them essentially go look in a a, a bible or uh you know they're doing bibliomancy uh to like crack this the bridge for the song um and it's one of uh, the you know i don't know if people like system of a down but it's one of the more memorable parts. i think it's in chop suey uh okay. that song which is one of their hits yeah um so since and so Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah. So that really, that jibes with what he was talking about and so in, you know, kind of going after the muse. I think Rick Rubens, he's interesting in that way. The funny thing about System of a Down is that uh, they had sent me an early, uh, like, release of three songs before they put out their actual album. And I listened to it and I said, wow, this is really good and different. These guys are going to go nowhere. And, you know, <laughs> I... I played them on my radio show and I'm like, yeah, people should love this. It's really, it's, it's quality stuff. It's original. Yeah. It doesn't sound like yeah. anyone else. I mean, there's a, there's a touch of faith or more in there. There's a little touch of this, but in, in it's unique. And I'm like in unique, good stuff. Never, never does well. And then the next thing I know they put toxicity out and it blows up. And I, honestly, I thought that was one of the best records that year that came out. Yeah. And I and was, that was like, the Rick Rubin record, I think. yeah. And I, I thought it was brilliant, and I can't stand yeah. to listen to it anymore. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> it just got so overplayed once they. And I was thrilled that I was wrong. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, good. Here's a band that deserved to get big. They were doing something yeah. unique and different, and they made it. That doesn't happen a totally. lot. At the same time, now I can't listen to them because I'm tired of them. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> But uh, that, that's how I feel about uh, System of a Down. Yeah. I was into them, you know, I was into them first. But, you know, that's because they sent me the tape and I said, this is cool. I've been in that situation so many times. Yeah. And it does nothing, that's nothing against the band. It's just, it kind of loses. There's something, it becomes, I guess, overplayed, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. The best way to say that, yeah. That's the thing. I mean, if you hear something, oh, it, no matter how brilliant it is, if you hear something over and over and over and over again, it loses it because you're you're mm. not really hearing it anymore. You're just, 
Yeah. It's just too familiar. Yep. So let's take <laughs> a let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Quick mid show break here. Everything Where Did the Road Go related can be found at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com. Uh, links to all our social media shows all the way back to the first one. And uh, yeah, you can get it all at the website and uh, subscribe to us on YouTube if you want. Uh, go to our Discord. Yeah, all that fun stuff. If you're into heavy music, uh, I do an underground music show called The Last Eggs of the Lost. It's heavier, darker stuff that you're not going to hear other places generally. Uh, and that can be found at thelastexit.org. Now, uh, as, far a re- as far as a recommendation this week, I'm going to go with another Pacific Northwest Stories one called The Last Movie. There were two seasons of this. If I remember right, the first season's pretty damn good. The second one was okay. Um, yeah, it's kind of a neat idea. I don't want to really give it away. Uh, but it's, it's creepy, and it fits their style. Um, I do like a lot of their stuff, even if they don't always seem to know where they're going with their stories, the atmosphere and vibe is, is very good. They also did Black Tapes, Tannis, Rabbits, which I think I've all uh, recommended in the past. So, yeah, I'm also going to recommend the last movie. So go check that out if you're looking for something creepy to listen to. All right, now back to the show. So I am here with uh, Saxon and Chris Ernst and Ren, and we're talking about uh, the universe, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, How many of them are there? Let's count them. Well, there's that too. One, yes. Two, three. And, and you know, uh, when we were talking about the Seth material early, the other thing Seth would always say is that there's there's like all these. You're you're a multidimensional personality in the sense that, uh, like there are different paths you could have taken, and those those mm-hmm. parts of you also exist somewhere. But there's like the mm-hmm. prime path that you actually took. Yeah. And I wonder about that sometimes too, like the, the true detective kind of idea that do you live the same, I mean, we all talk about like reincarnation and stuff, but it could also be true that you live the same life over and over again, maybe in, in not an infinite number of times, but, um, you know, like you, you just basically go through the same sort of life over and over again until you do it right. Yeah, you know, or get it right somehow, and maybe that's where things like deja vu come from if they're not like precognitive. Kind of uh, almost like a, a, a yeah. After you've made all the like possible choices in this path uh, and all the branching paths from it, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like a Groundhog Day kind of idea. Yeah, I, I, I would like to find the hack that allows restore points. <laughs> right. But at the same po- time, you know, it's like, oh, I wish I could have gone back and did this different or knew this or whatever. But then I'm like, but then I wouldn't have had the same experience or where would I be now? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it, yeah. Uh, there was Dan Millman, if you guys ever read him, he was more on the, the, the self-help side of, uh, uh, of cosmology, I suppose. He wrote like Way of the Peaceful Warrior and stuff like that. Okay. And uh, he had this one quote in there where he was talking about time and possibility and the way things collapse. And you know, he really doesn't believe in fate, but he had this comment where he said, you know, it, it's really once things have happened, there's not a lot of things to to argue with ourselves about or wish they'd been different. Right. Uh, because the, that's the way things did happen. So mm-hmm. that was the way they were supposed to happen. Right. Right. Um, you know, not that there was a, a fate that things had to happen this way, but because it's sort of like a reverse causality like well that is how they did happen so yeah that was the way they were supposed to happen um and it was really a bit the way he said it was meant more about just accepting the choices you made but i thought that was 
sort of an interesting kind of like backfeed on that idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Um, yeah. The, uh, I mentioned at the beginning of this, my brother had just, just passed away yesterday. Um, and the last conversation I had with him, uh, was over Facebook, uh, at the beginning of, the, of July. And the last thing he said to me was, I had this really weird dream about you. I need to tell you about. And I said, okay, tell me. And then I think he fell asleep. <laughs> and he never, never told me the dream. And now I'm kind of like, man, I, I, cause I forgot, like, I forgot he told me that. And now I'm like, and now I'm never going to know what that was. You know, like, was it relevant to what happened to him? Like, it, it, so that's one of those things. Like, I wish I could, you know, if nothing else, just be like, Hey dude, what was the dream? Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe tonight in your dreams, it's, yeah. you can, you know, there's a possibility that one thing that I came across at one point, which I thought was interesting is that there's in somebody talking about the uh the sort of stages of um the death of the physical body is that you know depending on uh sort of the nature it's that yes it is different for everybody but there is a general three-day window when there is like a separation when you there's like this sort of slower uh separation of the physical from the astral form Right. Um, uh, and that there's a three day window where the sort of the presence is, you know, is around more. And that's where you get things like, you know, sitting Shiva, uh, in the Jewish faith and, right, you know, right. other sort of things that it came around that there is a, a reality to there being sort of a three day window. Um, whether or not that's true, I have no idea. <laughs> right. But, no, but it know, is common belief. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, so when we look at all this weird stuff, um, one of the things it does seem to do is steer us toward the, the spiritual. Like, you know, I mean, whether you're seeing ghosts or, I mean, maybe not so much monsters, but like UFO sightings, aside from when they're they're co-opted by, uh, by you know, people hypnotizing people and convincing them they're being abducted by aliens, uh, generally has a more spiritual component to it. I mean, you know, whatever, whatever this, this phenomena is, that is the UFO phenomena and, and these encounters, you know, valet called it a control system. I mean, Keel looked at it as something demonic that was trying to take over the world. Um, but there does seem to be that, that element there. It's not a physical phenomena per se. And because it's cross culture, because it goes back throughout history, there's something intrinsically human about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I feel like it expands the boundaries of what you believe is possible. And when that happens to someone, they inevitably are led towards the non-material um, as a consequence of that, right? Like if you if you see yes. an encounter with a Bigfoot or see UFO or whatever, it sort of shatters your boundaries of what, of what is and can be possible. And yeah. so it, if that happens, then like what else is maybe true? And it, it opens you up a lot. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I've thought about that a lot too. Oh, go ahead, Chris. I just, no, I just said it's a good way of saying it. Yeah. Cause you know, I grew up, I, I've, I've talked about this in the show a lot. You know, my mom had had a near death experience a few years before I was born. And then, you know, there were just superstitions and stories and experiences that like my grandfather had had and stuff that were around. So there was, there was always kind of room for this. Uh, but, you know, other than, well, I say other, I guess I had weird experiences my whole life. But when I, <laughs> 
got to the point where I am now, probably some of that came from when my dad died when I was 20. Uh, and you know, we were talking about that before the show. Like I, I, you know, he, he was very ill. I knew he was going to die. Um, I don't think my family did the same way that I did. Um, but you know, I had dreams that we were going and getting a house ready together, you know, ready for him to move into, uh, because that's where he was going to go. Uh, when he died. And then, you know, that week or so after, uh, you know, was that uh, I've talked about this in the show and I still get hesitant to talk about it because it was such a weird experience. Uh, You know, when I I fell asleep on the couch, uh, you know, and it's nice afternoon out. And then I woke up on the couch and like Jesus was standing at the end of the walkway in front of the house. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and I went out there to greet him and he was coming inside to like, you know, take my father's spirit with him or something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that was just a utterly bizarre in a lot of ways. It was very emotional. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, and that was it. You know, I. I had been in anthropology for a long time and been a weird kid for a long time. So I was definitely not a, you know, Christian by any means, uh, although my dad was. Uh, so maybe that's why that happened. Uh, and, and also Jesus was a white guy. You know, it was very much the, uh, right. you know, the image you see in the Renaissance paintings, you know, personified. It was not right. a Middle Eastern man. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I had dreams after that where like, you know, he and I were sitting around with the other family members and he was telling us how things were, you know, needed to be done and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I'd say it changed my perspective in different ways because I valued my experiences differently, particularly the strange ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just understanding the limited time I had made me embrace all of these things more. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, it's definitely been uh, my experience over the years. It's been difficult to, um, I don't know, like sometimes even talk to people about uh, death, uh, especially people who are like more materialist. Um, mm-hmm. cause, you know, I've mentioned before, both me and my little brother have had spontaneous out-of-body experiences since we were kids. And so for me, like, I'm fairly confident that I'm more than my physical body. Like, right. I have pretty right. good amount of evidence that I am. And so, like, and having that evidence changes the way you, like, interact with the world and stuff. And sometimes in ways Absolutely. that I think make me feel like almost like I come across as insensitive to certain people who talk about death or, or, or like, scared of death or something. I'm just like, well, yeah. it's, uh, you know, it's a thing that's yeah. going to happen to everyone. And um, you know, it's it's not really that big of a deal. But then again, too, I also know what it's like to lose people who are close to you. And and like, yep. I don't know, like I, the the dream thing is interesting because that's like uh, you were mentioning that, Chris and, and Saxon, you were just mentioning the dream thing. Um, I actually had a lot of uh, peace that I found after uh, I had a friend that I had roommates with for years and he committed suicide um, several years ago and I had a dream. Um, like a couple of years after he committed suicide where I just like met him somewhere and talked to him and caught up with him, and, you know, mm-hmm. seemed, was doing well and everything. And like, just that, that, like when I woke up, I just felt like a weight had been lifted off of me. Like it was yeah. really important for me to, to know that he was all right, like wherever he was. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. And that access, I mean, that's, uh, I'm going to, uh, Noticon in a couple of days and I'm giving a talk about, uh, catabasis and the underworld and stuff. And that's the big through line for that talk is that like, uh, it's possible to travel like to the underworld, to undergo 
catharsis um because and and, and, like the gateway to that is through dreams in that like the underworld is a reality but the underworld is like inside of us it's in all of our heads like uh, the way down is in rather than and down. Right. Do you hold any credence to sort of the idea that what we call the subconscious is is uh, trying to represent the underworld? That's an interesting idea. I haven't thought of it like that, but that's kind of I think where my thoughts are are sort of moving to that yeah. that that the underworld sort of exists within all of us, and that it's sort of the same thing as like the imaginal. Well, it's connected. Like it's a tunnel. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're tunneled together. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. Let, let me ask you this too, uh, just for everybody. Um, do you feel like there are certain people that have passed on that you seem to have more access to than others? Hmm. I don't know. Or feel closer in some way or other that you could communicate with at least through dreams or feelings or something like that? Not really. Yeah. I don't think so I for myself. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I, don't I mean, I don't communicate with anyone in that way. So mm-hmm. yeah. Like, I've only had a handful of experiences meeting dead people sort of in, in dreams and stuff. So I, there hasn't been any repeats really. I mean, hmm. I, I had, okay. I had the, I, okay. Since my mom died, she's been in my dreams almost every night, uh-huh. hmm. but it never feels like her. Ah. You know, there's, there's been, uh, you know, she'll just pop up in the dream. She'll just, you know, other stuff will be going on. My mom will be there. Yep. And, yep. and like, it's just like, okay, I think this is just my sub, you know, my, my, my subconscious is way of, of dealing with that loss. Like it just puts her right. in my dreams. Yeah. Um, yeah. but there was even one point where, you know, I literally looked at her and said, you're not real. You're just in my dream. You know, this is just a dream. You're not real. Nice to have you here though. You know? Um, yeah. but I had the one about Jeff Ritzman. I don't know. If, yeah. If any of you guys, I, I don't remember who was on the show when I talked about that, but I, uh, I, I was, yeah. yeah. So he, uh, oh. Where I went to, I dreamed I was just hanging out with him at his house, which I never did. That never happened. Um, and at some point in the dream, I, I realized oh, this is a dream. And I looked at him in the dream and said, well, I, you know, I wish, uh, I wish this had actually happened in real life. And I actually got to meet you face to face. And suddenly it didn't feel like a dream anymore. And he said, that's why you're here now. Yeah. 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 Interesting. And I don't know, yes. you know, was was that really Jeff? I have no idea. It might have just been my my brain, you know, kind of fulfilling that 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 sense. I don't know. Well, you know, so actually, you talking about that got me thinking about this again. Now that you mention it, because their dreams and, and otherwise, just you know, things materializing in uh, my regular life and things like that, there seem to be certain people I was close to that are closer than others. And, you know, definitely like that dream separation you're talking about where, you know, that this is just part of a dream versus like, you know, this means something. Right. Uh, Whether it's, you know, we want to say it's this person coming through somehow or or, or whatever. Um, But yeah, like there there are certain folks that I I just feel like there's no way to reach them. And I couldn't tell you why that is, but Mm. it's like, you know, there there's. The phone doesn't uh, connect on the other side. Yeah. And I don't think that's a bad thing or it's saying anything bad about that person or or, or anything about right, concepts right, right. beyond the flesh. But there just seems for me to be uh, people I have better access to. That makes sense. Yeah. And again, that might be coming down to the people we're, we're close to outside of this reality versus the people we're close to here. That's a good point, too. Yeah. That's an interesting, that's an interesting uh 
question for practical necromancy, really. Like, uh, what is what are the criteria for being able to contact someone? I mean, at least in in like Greek uh, necromancy, a lot of times uh, it was considered more effective to like do dream incubation on the person's actual grave. So, like, if mm. you would go to their tomb, you would go mm. to their grave, go to sleep on their grave, and like that proximity was supposed to make it sort of, I guess, easier to contact. But um, yeah, that no, there's, there's sure. like a lot of the contours of that, like, I don't really have any answers for. I don't know why it would be more difficult to contact one person than another. Yeah, I, I don't know. And it, it, it occurred to me, like, I mean, we could speculate forever. Like, they're at different stages of their own journey or, you know, they, they've they gone deeper out there to look at something else, maybe. I mean, I, I'm, I'm yeah. speaking about yeah, that track. Completely. There's something that actually I remember from Seth uh, uh, that was, I think it was in the one that I was reading recently, which was Seth speaks, where he's talking about how some people over identify their consciousness with their body yes, and that that mm. creates like they linger around the body or they like, it creates more physical torment. Yeah. So, mm. so the first thing that, um, struck me about Seth, I was in a deep depression and, uh, almost dark night of the soul type of depression. I had lost any sense of faith in anything. I was just, I don't know. And I was researching near-death experiences, seeing if there was anything new, and uh, I would look at these websites that, for the most part, were just like, oh, these were actually, you know, seemed sort of scientific, you know? Like, they would they would be pretty practical and stuff, but then they'd bring up Seth. And I'm like, mm-hmm. why does Seth keep coming up? Like, of all, you know, like, why would you put the channeled work into this? And I had Seth speak, so I took up the book, and I started flipping through it. And I looked at the chapter of what happens when you die. And in it, that's yeah. that's what he talks about. So he says that some people, yep. he says, first of all, when you're born, some people immediately identify with their, you know, when they're still very, very, you know, in the utero. Uh, other people don't actually become fully conscious until after they're born. They, they can be alive for a little bit without, you know, actually being there. And then he says, mm-hmm. when people die, some people will leave their body before they're dead, whereas others mm-hmm. will try to cling to the body and stay long after it's dead. And so he's like yeah. listing these variations, and I'm reading this, and I had just list, uh, just read this uh, paper this heart doctor did talking about how, A, people can have near-death experiences when uh, they haven't died, and B, some people didn't have near-death experiences. And I'm like, well, that makes sense if you're not leaving your body. You know, if you're if you're you're particularly attached, uh, and then of course Seth also goes on to mm-hmm. say that essentially what you believe deep down is what's going to happen to you when you die at first. That's what I've heard from many people too. Yeah, yeah. at first. Oh, interesting. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he says it's an illusion, but because your belief yeah. creates that illusion, so when you die, that it, you know sometimes spirits will help you along. And slowly, you know, get you used to the being outside of this, you know, our reality and back into that reality. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a fact. That's a thing that comes up in uh, Robert Monroe's books as well. That, really? Um, totally. Like sort of like they're, they're like little waiting rooms for different types of people. Right. So like whatever religion you are, if you were like a devout believer in that religion, there's sort of like a, a little, you know, there's like a heaven that you go to for a little while until right. you're able to accept uh, the reality of like what's happened. And that, you know, once you kind of get that, okay, um, yes. there's more to this than, than what I thought, then you can kind of move on or get reincarnated or, or whatever. Yes. Yeah, Seth, Seth said something like, if you believe deep down, nothing's going to happen, that there's nothing after death. 
He said you might yeah. you might sort of experience sort of like a, a lull. You know, you'll you'll yep. still be conscious, but you'll think, oh, I'm dead. There's nothing yeah. here. And then There's slowly, slowly you'll you'll realize I'm still conscious. Yeah. <laughs> There's a similar mm. thing in uh in like Orphic stuff too that I, th- I thought was striking when I when I read it the other day about how in sort of the Elysian fields, um, these shades can choose to be reincarnated, but in order to do so, they are required to drink of uh you know the waters of Lethe in order right. to forget their mm-hmm. past lives like that's the only way they're allowed to reincarnate which yeah i mean makes sense right can you imagine trying to live if you had the well, uh, that's like a trauma yeah in thousands that's what i was that's what i was told too is that it's like the reason why you know you must drink the waters of that you are aware of your different uh like when you are essentially you know your consciousness is, is inhabiting whatever is happening in between your your incarnations physically but that because you have and in the hindu uh you know cosmology it's like 84 locks which is 84 million uh reincarnations you have to go through so 84 million reincarnations if you had all those stacked on top of one another in your sort of human body form Mm. you would go nuts right and that it's essentially a safety mechanism um yeah uh, Yeah, the same thing in like a like chinese thought too where there's like a it's like a soup of forgetfulness it's like a soup that's made by uh ming po i think yeah fascinating yeah yeah the leafy thing always uh always fascinated me because i mean it makes sense it really doesn't and you wonder when you see people who who seem to remember their past lives and they have things like birthmarks, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like like maybe that memory wasn't completely lost, or maybe it's never completely lost because you're always connected to it. Yeah, yeah. maybe they didn't mm-hmm. completely enough. But well, I mean, that's that's yeah. the other uh, concept in, in Orphic theology too is the the pool of Memnesine, where there's there's another another river, another pool uh, that allows you to keep all of your memories, mm-hmm. uh, but sort of move that like that's how you um, break samsara in that theology. That's how you yep. sort of escape the cycle of reincarnation is by drinking from that pool instead. And maybe at some point you become able, like if you've done this enough, you're like, all right, <laughs> okay, I can handle it this time. I don't know. Yeah. And, you know, I thought about that too. And, re- you know, one of the questions of this, this show was the idea, like, why are we into this stuff? Why are we, why are we drawn to it? I've, I've had the idea too, that um, maybe you're just on, you're, you're on that incarnation where you're going to drink from the other pool this time. Like mm. you, you've slowly been drawn to it. And maybe some people aren't. Or some people don't care about it because they just they they haven't been led to that. They haven't done all of their runs yet. Well, that's mm-hmm. the idea. The idea of the path or the many paths is that there are sort of many paths to the goal. Some lead, you know, in a sort of wandering, uh, uh, lazy route past the seaside. Some are more direct, and that everybody has their own particular path. You know, that they sort of have to go through. You know, why yeah. they're different. I, I don't know. Well, uh, w- yeah. w- what was the the quote from Crowley? Roughly, was like God is the same mountain named different things by different people with different paths to the top, yeah. but it's all okay. still the same mountain. Yeah, I mean, obviously <laughs> he climbed mountains, so that's why that became an analogy for him. Yeah, but I always like that because it makes sense. I mean, it's it's not that this that only one person is right. It's that yeah, there's there's everyone's path is different. I mean, everyone's life is different, and I. And I feel like that's that's something too many people don't really have a concept of. You know, they just expect everyone no. to to think and be the same way. Yeah, that's what I've, I've talked about. People 
trying to convince, especially like on social media and stuff, that like things like astrology are real or that magic's real or whatever. What I've tried to explain to people is that like um, that you you can't really do that. Like I mean, people are going to be people are going to find it if they want to find it. Yeah. You can't force anyone to to walk a certain path, right? They'll, they'll come to right. it, come to it. Yep. It may even be in this life. Yeah, and and the thing is, you know, every every single person on this planet has had a different experience in life. Uh, they've had different things happen to even twins. As as much alike as twins may be, they've both had different perspectives on what's going on. And the, and the more different your life is, the more different those those experiences are. And there's where we have varying opinions. But it seems like in our culture now, someone has to be right and someone has to be wrong, rather than understanding that. This person thinks this because A, B, and C, and this person thinks this because of A, B, and C, and you know, and it's just it. All of our perspectives are different, and it's okay that people have different perspectives. I mean, yes, yeah, some of them can be harmful, but again, those harmful you know things have come about because of the things they've experienced. So, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I think the bigger thing is trying to get people to understand that A, everyone's life is different, and B, not. Not everyone is going to think the same, and nor are they meant to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's that real rush uh, to tribal dualism, right? Where yeah, uh, you're absolutely correct in all of your opinions, and then right. the other person not only is incorrect in all of their opinions, but are actually evil or actually like malicious. <laughs> when in reality, the, the truth is somewhere like way more in the middle. Like there are very few people in this world that I feel like are truly malicious, like truly sociopathic people. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's a relatively yeah. rare thing. Like most people are the way they are because of the way they were raised and the yep. experiences they've had during their life. And uh, just vilifying them for that isn't going to change anything. If yeah. anything, it's only going to temper their resolve to, to have those opinions, right? Like you, yep. the way forward isn't isn't just to uh, mock them or or you know try to get them fired or whatever. Like none of that helps. No, yeah. no, yeah. because it just it just proves to them that you're the enemy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Further further solidifies that dualism. If we if we learn yeah, to if we learn to find the things that we agree on versus uh, the things focusing on the things we disagree on. I think most people agree on a lot more than they realize. Yeah. Because yeah. ultimately, it, we're all human. We all have similar desires, even if we don't, you know, we come up and go about them in different ways. Most of us yeah. kind of want the same things out of life. Yeah. 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 And it's okay to you enjoy know, it, life. It is. It is. It, it, despite uh, as crotchety and cranky as I sound on the show a lot of times. I, I'm kind of like Ren. Like I try to think that everybody's doing the best with what they have at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and obviously we're not all walking around like I've got to do the best I can all the time because that would be exhausting. <laughs> but you know, everybody's just reasonably doing what they're capable of yeah. uh, to yeah. to survive. Um, with and, very uh, with varying degrees of self awareness, varying degrees of self awareness yes. and, and resources and yeah. faculties and tools to you know uh, interrelate with the world around them and and, and everything else. Um, you know, it, I had a connection in here to this, and I, I'm not going to segue to it at all. So I'm just going to throw it out here. When we were talking about you know your brother's dream that you didn't get to find out, yeah, you know I I also think sometimes we are meant to be posed with questions and things that are never answered, yeah, uh, because it's like flavoring, uh, <laughs> you know, it adds some mystery to our lives. 
Yeah. Right. You know, and it, it's just what value and color can you make from that experience uh, and, and the way those things add up? Uh, I don't know that that's, I probably got that more from after my dad passed away than anything else. But um, I do think, you know, it's like the phenomenon, too. I think it's there for us never to have an answer for it. Yeah. Uh, Just to drive us forward. Yeah. It's just there to drive us forward and have us be curious in different ways. So we are out of time. But um, real quick, uh, where can people find you, Ren? Um, I maintain a blog at lilittleroom.com. Um, and I've got some links to social media stuff there. So you can find me on Blue Sky or um, whatever um, Twitter is going to be called now. Um, whatever it be called next week. I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> but I've also got a link to my Discord server on there as well. Uh, if for some reason the invite doesn't work, just uh, send me an email. Okay. But yeah, pretty easy to contact. Chris? Uh, brightrectangle.com. That's how you can contact me. I don't really do social. And you can see links to uh, my films and work there. And, and Super Saxon Man? Uh, the, the Super Saxon Man is, uh, he hangs out on Instagram under Super Inframan. Oh, weird. Uh, it, it is friends with Matt <laughs> Festa on there. <laughs> and then uh I, I i'm not as cool as red i don't have a blue sky account i i'm i'm only on threads okay and, and saxon is on facebook if you look for him. and you're also on discord yes i am i, I i'm in the uh, the discord for where to throw go I, I always keep tabs on that and occasionally you know I'll, I'll jump in but i usually read most of everything that gets posted in there nice I, I thank you guys very much for having this conversation with me tonight because I definitely needed it. Absolutely, Soraya. Thanks. Absolutely glad to. I want to take a moment here to thank all of my Patreons. Without you, this show would not be possible. And I want to give a special shout out to those of you pledging $10 or more. Greg Ross, Billuminati, Leanne Cherry, Matt in Delaware, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, Tim, Matthew Sproul, Andrew Nichols, Christine, a blue second-gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain. Patricia Gaiaquinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Maines, Ann Witowski, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Limina, Bright Rectangle, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy and Communicable, Craig Cicernos, Craig Parmenter, Diane B., MTK, Eric Citron, Eric Todd, History and Coffee, Jay, Jay Otto Bullet, Jack Huntington, James Lindsay, Jim and Sophie, John Mattingly, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L., Laser Printer Jam, Lauren McLean, Linda, Linz Jackson K., MJ Armstrong, Mark Bowley, Mark Brady, Mr. Weird, Ole Andre Olar, Paul Jeffries, Philosopher of Mirrors, Riker and Stark, Ron Dupre, Sam Sharon, Schmooples, Devourer of Mortal Souls, Seed Person 1. Stacy Sherwood, Tactical Therapist, Deller Bell, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Varosh K, Vincent Trewell, Will Gebhard, Will Powell, Ren Collier, Annabelle Smith, Caroline Walker, TDT Skunkworks, A Crocodile, and Craig Sagastumi. Thank you all so very, very much. I want to thank everyone who sent me condolences uh, on the passing of my brother. I appreciate it very much. Uh, I'm not able to get back to everybody, so I just kind of wanted to just thank everyone here who contacted me about it. Uh, It's very much appreciated. And a special thank you to Nagatha Christie, who sent over some nice treats. I want to welcome some new patrons this month. Uh, Ed, 
Jay Victor, Glenn Messer, a crocodile, Dave Baxter, Ryan, and Gravy Jones. And a thanks to Mark Bowley for upping his pledge as well. And I'm going to take you out here with a band that played uh, live on the last exit August 4th. Uh, They're called Dead Harrison. They're from New Hampshire. And uh, we're going to hear a track off their CD, which is titled The Story of the Mortuous Ortis. We're going to hear a track called Dance of the Dead. They're an independent band. They're uh, pretty cool. Uh, You can check out their live footage at thelastexit.org. If you check out our performance channel, if you like them, I think uh, this CD is from 2016 or something like that. Uh, 2014. So it's a little bit older. And uh, their sound has evolved a lot since then. And you can hear that on the live recording. If you like this at all, you'll love the live recording, I guess is what I'm saying. So go check it out. Dead Harrison. And I think they just have deadharrison.com as well. All right. That's all from me this week. I'll see you all next time.
You have been listening to Where Did the Road Go? This show is made possible in part from our Patreons, and we thank you and everyone listening for helping us continue this exploration of the strange. You can always find everything Where Did the Road Go related at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com. And thank you so much for your support. <laughs>